Having an encounter with God ought not happen only on Sunday and the rest of the week we live like the world. But we ought to be having an encounter with God every day. And guess what? Practicing the presence of God through thanksgiving, praise, and worship will help us to experience His presence throughout the day, every day. And that's the way God wants us to live. He gave the Holy Spirit to us to abide with us. Amen? So, we enter His gates with thanksgiving, thanking the Lord. How many of you thank the Lord on the way to church today? Amen. We're learning how to get to church because we ought to be prepped for church, not dragging in saying, Pastor, you better preach me up. We ought to come into church already filled with the Spirit because we thank the Lord on the way and we entered the gates through the doors with thanksgiving, came into the courts here with praise, and then we're ready to enter into the high worship of God. And that is when God comes down and miracles begin to happen. So let's read one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I'm going to talk to you about living in the worship zone today. Psalms 27, verse 4. It's one verse, so I want you to read it out loud with me and really read it like you're preaching a little bit, okay? And let's, let's scare the devil off real good with the Bible, the Word of God. Are you ready? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. What a goal. All right, Lord, we just thank you right now for your word. Thank you, Lord, for carrying this congregation into a higher place of worship than we have ever known. Thank you for teaching us how to enter into your presence on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Thursday. In Jesus' name. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, take my worship higher than I've ever known before. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him, praise him. God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. Now, this that we just read, this one thing have I desired, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and I'm going to seek that. That's the personal testimony from David, the prince of worshipers in the Bible. That's why the Bible says that David was a man in hot pursuit of God's heart, a man after God's heart. And how did he go after God's heart? Well, one of the ways was by worship and by praise. Now, if David was a man after God's own heart and he did not know the shed blood of Jesus, he did not know Pentecost, none of those things, all New Testament truth was yet to come, yet that man was a praiser and a worshiper and a thanker, where does that leave us who are the redeemed of the Lord? We ought to be people after God's heart. Now, in that verse, he tells us four things about worship. In Psalms 27, 4, there's four things. Believe it or not, we're going to pluck out of that verse. All about worship. Here they are. He deals with the discipline of worship, the destination of worship, the duration of worship, and the desire of worship. David deals with all of those things. Now, we've been talking about living in the praise zone. When you're in the zone, it means you're totally focused. You are there. All the, all the plugs are firing. 
You're in the zone. And God wants you and I to learn how to be, how to live in the praise zone, the worship zone, the thank zone, thanking God. And there are three levels, and we've talked about this, and we used a, a, a ladder with three steps on it as an illustration. Here's a little step ladder. The bottom rung is thanksgiving. We enter his courts, or we enter his gates with thanksgiving. Second rung, and we enter his courts with praise. So there's thanksgiving, first rung, praise, second rung, and then worship. We enter into his holiness. And when you're at that top rung, what do you find at the top of that ladder? The very manifest presence of God. And that's where he wants us to live. Worship is meant to bring us to the throne of God, into his very presence. Now, I don't know about you, but when I walk out of the door in the morning, I want to be filled with the Spirit and I want to be very aware of the presence of God. I don't want to live in a wilderness where it's hot and dry and barren and there's no sense of God's presence. But I want to be being continually filled with the Holy Spirit, and I want to walk out with an awareness of God's presence on my life. His presence is peace. His presence is joy. His presence is power. His presence brings strength. His presence brings healing. His presence is so desirable. And God brought us into fellowship with him that we might know the presence of God. When God created mankind, you and me, he hardwired us to worship him. We are born and wired to worship the true and the living God. So much so that if we don't worship the true God, I guarantee you we're going to worship something. Ever been to a rock concert? Have you seen how those young people worship those musicians, they bow down. Where do you think the phrase rock God came from? Because if we don't worship the true and the living God, we're going to fall in the trap of idolatry and we're going to worship something else. And whenever you worship something other than God, it only leads to catastrophe, only leads to terrible consequences. Jesus told the devil in the wilderness, he said, worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus told us the Father is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is actually looking for that. So when we come to church, we ought to be thinking, I'm not just coming to church for what I can get, but I'm coming to church for what I can give. When I wake up in the morning, it ought not just be, Lord, bless me today. You're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I pray for this and I pray for that and I pray for the other. And here's my petitions. But at the same time, David said, close out your prayer with thanksgiving. And bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. What is worship? Worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. W-R-T-H. Worship is a derivative of that old English word, worship, and here's what it's saying. It means to offer something or give something of worth. So when we come in here and we worship God, we are supposed to bring into the sanctuary something of worth to God. And what is of worth to God? It is our worship. Amen? So we walk into the sanctuary saying, I'm, I'm not just here for a blessing, but I'm here to bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I'm here to give to the Lord, O oh ye people. 
Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due His name. I'm not just coming to get, but I'm coming to give. And if we came to church with that attitude, that's when the Spirit falls. That's when God moves. That's when the sick are healed. That's when the bound are set free. When we worship the Lord, we're not only blessing ourselves, but we are blessing Him. Can you say with me, bless the Lord? Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Do you know that you have the ability and the capacity to bless God? What a thought that the creator of this incredible unbelievable, unfathomable universe is searching for a people who will bless him, who will worship him, who will give him the glory, do his name, and bless him in the sanctuary of God, and bless him Monday through Friday, and bless him throughout the day. Worship is a lesser bowing down to a greater To worship means to fall on your face or bow down, and it's found more than 170 times in the Bible. Worship, worthship, bring him something of worth. It's the highest expression of our affection and adoration towards God when we worship God. Now I want you to think about something. This occurred to me this week. Worship is the only activity we're called to do now that we're going to continue doing in heaven. Now, I'm going to say that again because it went right past some of you. Worship is the only activity we're called to do now that we're going to continue doing in eternity. That's why I tell you, you better warm up now. If you don't like worship, you better better develop an acquired taste because in heaven, there's going to be major, major worship. You take the worship that we're involved in and take it to the hundredth power, and you're not even still getting close to the worship that's going to take place in heaven. We believe now. We believe now. But there's going to be a time when we see him face to face, and faith isn't any longer going to be necessary. We're not going to need faith in heaven. Because faith is what we reach up to God with that we might bring what's there down here. But once we're there... We don't need anything to come from there to here, so we don't need faith anymore. In heaven, we won't need to pray anymore. We pray now, but there's going to be a time when our prayers will no longer be needed because anything we could possibly have prayed for, we're going to have it. We hope now. Oh, I hope, I hope. I've got a hope, a great expectation for things to come. But the time is coming when what we hope for will all have come to pass. And there's not going to be anything to hope for because hope will be swallowed up in victory. But we are called to worship now, and we're going to still worship there. What a blessed opportunity and privilege to be able to worship the living God. So I want to look at these four aspects of worship David mentioned. The first one is discipline, the discipline of worship. Now, as soon as I say discipline, something in you cringes because we don't like discipline. You know, I think, the mo- I think I read one time that the most unused gift that people receive on Christmas is an exercise bike. They sit in that room and they call to you every day, but as every day passes, their call grows duller and duller and duller, and they gather dust. We don't like the word discipline, 
But listen to what David said. David said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek. Now, I want you to stop and think about that. He said, I've got a desire, and I'm going to match my desire with a decision because what I'm desiring is worth my going after. Listen, if what you want is not worth a decision, it's not worth having. David said, I've got a desire beating in my heart. I've got a desire that surges in my veins. And, and this desire has caused me to say, I will seek it. I want you to think with me for a minute about who wrote this Psalms 27 for King David, the king over the greatest nation on earth. He was the most powerful man in the world. As king of Israel, he, he faced a thousand different demands and issues on every level, every day, all throughout the day. He was busy, busy, busy. It would have been so easy for him to be swallowed up in the busyness of life. He had fame. He had riches. He had power at his fingertips. Anything King David wanted or desired, he could have by snapping his finger. Most kings and most people would have contented themselves exhausting all these endless possibilities that were at their beck and call, but not David. Something else was in David's heart that is not in the heart of most people because he's the only one in the Bible of whom it is said he was a man after God's own heart. Something else beat in his heart. There was a deep down inward motivation. Here's what it was. He had a longing and a burning desire to know the Lord more and more and more. He said, I want more of God. You can't give me enough of God. I want more than I had yesterday. I want more than I had last year. I want to grow in him. I want to get to know him. I want to enter into his presence. I want to dwell in his presence. He wanted a growing relationship with the Lord so badly that he was willing to discipline himself to get there. One thing I have desired, that I will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord. Here's the bottom line. David had a desire, and he was willing to discipline himself to turn his desire into reality. It's interesting to me that eight of the ten letters in the word discipline are found in the word disciple. Disciple is somebody who says, I'm going to discipline myself to follow the Lord. I'm going to discipline myself to seek after him. I'm going to tell my body to get up in the morning and spend enough and get up early enough to spend time in his word and in prayer. I'm going to discipline myself to seek the Lord. I'm going to bring my life under the discipline of the Holy Spirit because I want what I want bad enough to discipline myself to get there. You see a muscle man, that didn't happen overnight. He said, I want so bad to be a muscle man, I'm going to get up and do whatever it takes in the gym to get there. For David and for all of us, it took discipline to get what he wanted his journey from desire to discipline began with, I will. God gave us a will. He gave us the ability to choose. Choose you this day who you will serve. He gave us an ability to say, I've got a will and here's my decision. I will seek the Lord. 
I will become a worshiper. I will come to know him better. I will crucify my flesh and walk in the spirit. I will go in hot pursuit of God. I will give him my first time. I will give him my first tithe. I will give him my first attention. I will give him my first strength. I will give him my best years. I will. Here's the decision he made. I will become a worshiper. A desire without a decision is just a daydream. That's all it is. A lot of people have desires, but they never become reality because they don't decide and discipline themselves to get it. Anything worth having requires the mix of decision and discipline to obtain it. If you want something bad enough, church, you will decide to make it happen. You will. And you will discipline yourself to get there. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will, I will seek that which I desire. I'm bringing my will into it and I've made a choice. David's life of worship began with a desire coupled with discipline. What about you and me? I wonder, and I got to tell you, I know discipline's a struggle. I struggle. I struggle sometimes to pray. I struggle sometimes to get out of bed. I struggle sometimes, like this morning, when Kathy said it's time to get up, I said it can't be. And she said it is. And my flesh said, listen to me, listen to me. Lay here a little bit longer. But then another voice said, you need to go over this message. You need to get with me before you go to church so that you are in the anointing of the Spirit and not struggling in the flesh when you stand before those people. So I told my flesh, get out of bed. Jesus rose from the dead, and some of us can't even get out of bed. So he talked about the discipline of worship. Then he talked about the destination of worship. Listen to what he said. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. So isn't that strange? David's destination as a worshiper was the house of the Lord. But he can't have been talking about the temple because nobody lived in the temple. And David couldn't live in the temple either. And, and, and after all, how in the world are you going to stay in the temple night and day and get anything done? So he's not talking about living night and day in the actual temple. That's not what he meant. The house of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord he's talking about here was not the temple. It was not a physical building at all. He was talking about dwelling in the manifest presence of of God. Now, let me tell you something about you and me. There is no temple that God dwells in. We have people that walk in here and they will tell us, when I drove into the parking lot, I began to weep. And when I walked in the doors, I continued to weep. And when I came in here, God began to touch me. He was already touching me in the parking lot. Now watch this. Is that because God is dwelling in this brick and stone and wooden building? No, it's because God walked in through you. Because he doesn't live in a building made of brick and stone and steel and wood. God lives in his people. You are the temple 
of the Holy Spirit, the house, the dwelling place. So when we all get together, it's dangerous for the devil because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and then we go into the high places of worship and God falls on this place, that's where the presence comes from. He comes out of you. Christians are supposed to ooze the Holy Spirit. David said, here's my desire. Here's what I'm disciplining myself for. I want to dwell in the manifest presence of God. I want his spirit to surround me, be in me, be around me. I want the aura of the Holy Spirit to be around me. I want to be filled with the spirit within me. And when people encounter me, I want them to be touched by his presence in my life. Psalms 22 verse 3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. That's why it's so important when we come together here at this 9 o'clock service. I know we're a little bit tired. We get up earlier than others. But watch this. We ought to come into church with this intent. I'm not just coming to hear a message and go home. But I am coming to church that I might bless the Lord, O my soul, and that I might give the glory due his name, and that I might worship him in the beauty of holiness, that I might praise him for who he is and thank him for what he's done. And I'm going to go into the house of the Lord with that intent so that the Lord can fill that place through me. He inhabits the praise of his people. He inhabits the praise of his people. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at once, but his manifest presence is not everywhere. I'm going to say that again. God is everywhere at once. He's omnipresent. He's here. He's in China. He's in Russia. He's everywhere right now. But his manifest presence is not everywhere. His manifest presence is found in the praises of his people. Okay? So we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We experience his manifest presence through thanksgiving, praise, and worship. And that's the will of God every time we meet. So when we're singing, you ought to sing. When we're clapping, God gave you hands as an instrument to praise him. Clap your hands, all you people. He gave you a voice. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. If you can't sing, make a joyful noise. Nobody's going to get on to you for it. It may sound scratchy to you, but it's music to God. God's manifest presence is what the New Testament calls being filled with the Spirit. David said, I long to experience his manifest presence on a daily basis. I want to dwell in the presence of the Lord. That was his destination. So he talked about the discipline of worship, the destination of worship. Then he talked about the duration of worship, the duration of worship. Somebody said, how long should I pray? And I said, pray till you're through. Isn't that profound? How long should I worship? Worship until you're full. Worship until you're through. There's no time limit to put on it. In the mornings, I get with God, and I don't come away from the prayer closet until I know that I am full of his word and his spirit. Then I go out. And sometimes I can do it in 15 minutes, sometimes an hour, sometimes two hours, but I don't go out 
until I'm through. How long should we worship God until his manifest presence is filling the place? Listen to what David said, the duration. I'm going to be a worshiper all the days of my life. He said that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, his manifest presence, all the days of my life. That means more than Sunday or Saturday night. It means Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, TGIF, on Friday, on Thursday, when the mully grubs want to get onto you and you don't feel like going to work or doing anything. He said, that's when you praise the Lord all the days of your life. Worship is not just a Sunday morning thing or a when I feel like it thing. Worship is a decision. David said, I will worship the Lord every day, all the days that God gives me life because every day is a gift from God. He could pull his hand away and all of us at this moment would drop dead. But by God's grace, we live. By God's grace, we have another day. He says, now bless the Lord who gave you life today. I can think back to my late teens. When I was 18 years old, went into that Bible study I was telling you about in East Dallas in an old broken down two-story house and there was a bunch of young people in there worshiping God and I saw their expression and I saw something that was an intangible I couldn't put my finger on but it, what they had made me jealous for what they had and I prayed the prayer and I said God if you'll give me what they have I will give up anything and at that moment the Spirit of God fell upon me at that moment God's Spirit touched me and I walked out into the yard of that old broken down house in East Dallas. And my hands went up because that's what I'd seen them doing. And I began to worship the Lord. And worship began to take place in my life and connect in my life. And I learned how to worship God. And I can look back now and see that worship became the seedbed that set the stage for the rest of my life. So what about just getting saved? Didn't that do it? Yes. But worship created a conduit between me and God. Worship became a pipeline by which when I worship God, his power, his love, his manifest presence cascaded down into my heart and life. And it was in the presence of worship that God did some of his strongest works in me. It was as I worshiped God that he made his calling to preach clear to me. It was as I worshiped God that the fire to minister the word of God began to burn in my soul. It was as I worshiped God that I came into direct contact with the person of Jesus Christ. Forgive me if I'm a little emotional about this. But I'm going to tell you, worship changed my life. Worship became a part of my life. Worship became a, a connection, a touch point between me and God. I wasn't seeking a gift when the Lord told me that I was called to preach. I wasn't seeking the gift. I was worshiping the giver when the giver gave the gift to me. And see, if we'll just learn, I'm not going to go to him for what I can get all the time, but I'm going to worship him just for who he is. And you will find that when you worship the giver, the giver gives gifts all the time when you're just worshiping the giver. We all know this raising children. We don't want our children only coming to us when they want something. Daddy, it's good to see you. Can I have some money? Hey, Dad, great to see you. Can I have the, cars, the keys to the car? 
We want them to say, hey, Dad, I just love you. Say that again. That's how God is. We're too selfish in the church. We've Jehovah Jireh God out. He is a provider, but he's more than a provider. He's worthy of our worship church. Can you say all the days of my life? Somebody wrote, if the cross proves how much we are worth to God, our worship proves how much God is worth to us. Worship is our love expressed to God. Now, the last thing David talked about was the desire of worship. And I'm going to close with this, the desire of worship. There was the discipline of worship, destination of worship, duration of worship, then the desire of worship. David said, let me tell you what my motivation is. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Two things. I want to see something and I want to seek something in the place of worship. What do you want to see? The beauty of of the Lord. To behold the beauty of the Lord in the Hebrew language describes the absolute delight that gazing continually at God's glory brings to us. Gazing at Him. Do you know the New Testament talked about that? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, all of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord. As if we were looking in a mirror. And we are being transformed into that same image, image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. All of us, when we worship God, when we open up His Word, when we read the Word, when we worship Him in the beauty of holiness, and we gaze intently at the Lord, something happens to you and to me. And this is one of the great reasons we ought to worship. We are transformed into the same image from glory to glory and faith to faith, we are changed. See, church ought not be a place we come to to make a business contact or to see somebody's new dress or new suit or to shoot the breeze with our buddies. We ought to view church this way. We're going to come into the gates with thanksgiving. We're going to walk into the courts with praise. We're going to lift our hands and we're going to worship God. And as we do, we're going to undergo a transformation. We are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We ought to leave church sunburned. You say to somebody, oh, you've been out in the sun. Look at you. Hey, they ought to be able to say, hey, you've been with the sun. Look at you. The person who gazes at the glory of the Lord is going to be sun hand. Changed into the same image from glory to glory. No wonder David wanted to see the glory of the Lord. He said, I'm going to seek him too. In the temple, I want to seek to know him. We ought to leave church knowing him better than when we came. We ought to seek him and know him. As the deer pants for streams of water, said the man for God's own heart, so my soul is panting, longing, thirsting for you, O God. The benefits of being a worshiper are incredible. Can we stand together today? Can you say with me, discipline, destination, duration, and desire. Can we embrace those four things in our own life? Can we do that? Say, I'm going to discipline myself. How many can say, I will? And what about coming to church at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings 
ready to praise God. Amen? Ready to praise God and ready to be transformed. Now, in closing, we're going to do something. We've done this the last couple of weeks, but we're going to practice what we've heard. And I'm going to ask you, as little movement as possible, just hang tough. We're not going to be here much longer, but we want to be here long enough to do what we have heard. So it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. What I want us to do is think of one or two things that God has directly done. And at first, we want to enter his gates and we want to just thank the Lord. So I want you to think right now, what has God done for me? And let's right now go into his presence. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? And let's go right into his presence and say, Lord, thank you. I'm entering your gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for, now you fill in the gap. Thank him right now. Thank him out loud. Thank him with the fruit of your lips. Thank the Lord for what he has done for you. He saved you. He delivered you. He gave you peace in the middle of a storm. He provided for you. He delivered you from the devil's jaws. Thank God for what he's done. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've been good to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us. Thank you that you gave us Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you that he rose from the dead. Thank you that he's redeemed us by his precious blood. Thank you that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Lord, that there is a destiny and a purpose for every single person in this room. Now let's go on in and let's praise him. Let's praise him with a song and sing, There is none. Come on, everybody. Bless the Lord in the house of God. the Lord in the beauty of holiness and worship him now. your hands. All you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. 